0: This is the Hockey News Podcast. Welcome to the Hockey News Podcast. I am Ryan Kennedy here with Ken Campbell. Matt Larkin is not here today because he just had a baby. So congratulations, Matt. We could see the baby weight was on you before. Hopefully you work it out uh, in the next couple of weeks, get back into fighting trim, uh, but enjoy your rest. You did a great job, young man. So congratulations on that. Uh, Ken, you know, we're kind of in the dog days of the off season, but we, did, we, have have. Some, we did have some fun news uh, this week with the revealing of 31 reverse retro NHL jerseys from Adidas. Uh, a lot of bold and sometimes garish in a good or bad way choices. Give me to begin with your top three what did what, what did you like the best out of
1: those jerseys did you want my top three sweaters is that what you wanted my top yeah three yeah, yeah. Sweaters? Oh, man
0: sweaters fine <laughs> okay
1: yeah. well i'm gonna go with montreal for as my number one because montreal is has got the classiest uniforms in in sports and uh they i thought i thought this was a home run the way they incorporated the blue and everything into it um, just looks fabulous as far as I'm concerned. Uh, then I'm going to go with LA. I really liked the, I, I really liked what LA did. I really liked how they mixed in the, the late eighties Gretzky era with the, um, with the, you know, the early colors. And I, I feel like, like I was a kid when the LA Kings came in and I, I feel like I didn't, well, probably cause we didn't see them that much, but I feel like my whole generation didn't appreciate those unis as much as they probably should have. The, just the color scheme was amazing. Um, and the third, as an homage to their WHA and uh, former NHL um, teams, I'm going to go with Carolina and Colorado. Uh, Love what they did. Love that they have a, a major tip of the hat to the Hartford Whalers and to the Quebec Nordiques. So I really like those ones.
0: Yeah, I'm pretty much in uh, full agreement with you. My top three was the Colorado Nordiques because I feel like that was what we were all waiting for, was for Colorado to give a shout out to its Quebec days. And it was just a seamless uh, creation that they had there, where you get the great Colorado burgundy with the Nordiques logo. You get the fleur-de-lis on the bottom and on the shoulder, just a huge winner, all in all. Uh, I also agree with Los Angeles. I think it was the perfect combination of Wayne Gretzky and Marcel Dion sort of matched together. It really captured the spirit of what Adidas was going for, or at least, you know, their sort of mission statement on this reverse retro. Uh, I did like Montreal, but the one I'm going to point out uh, just to be a little different that was in my top three is New Jersey. Uh, I really like what the devils did going with the pine barons green as the base uh, with the red accents because New okay. Jersey, I mean, they've really only had like two uniforms ever. You know, they had like the red and green, and then they had red and black with the same logo. It's always basically been the same logo. So I feel like their fans have been starved for something different. This is different. It's bold. It's really fun. So I'm going to go with New Jersey. Now let's go to the bottom three. What are the three that you think just did
1: not work? Uh, probably in reverse order. So the third worst to second worst to worst, in mm-hmm. my opinion, was... Uh, First was the Islanders, New York Islanders, because I just didn't get it. Like, I don't, I don't see any difference. <laughs> I yeah, thought you were supposed to shade. do something different with these. And, I mean, I guess the blue is a little bit different. But, like, if I'm an Islanders fan, I'm not, I'm not shelling out 250 bucks to buy one of those. Mm. Um, number two would be Winnipeg. Uh, the gray is just boring with a capital B as far as I'm concerned. Um, I I would have liked to have seen them go with a red there instead of that that gray. Um, mm-hmm. did I say green? I meant gray. No, you um, said gray. Anyways, gray. Yeah, I, I just thought I just thought Winnipeg's was really boring. And number one, hands down, without a question, is the Anaheim Ducks. I don't know how you can how a grown man can wear that sweater in an NHL game, and expect his competitors to take him seriously. Mm-hmm. I, I just don't get it. I, I that one to me was. Like the absolute stinker of the bunch.
0: Yeah, I was never a fan of the Wild Wing jersey the first time it came around, and I had the same thought. Like, can you imagine Ryan Getzlaff pulling that jersey over and looking down and be like, "Okay, boys, yeah, boys, let's,
1: let's go, girls, uh, let's go, guys, let's get them."
0: <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, good choices. I actually liked Winnipeg because it was so different. Like everybody, there was okay. so many bold uh Garris jerseys and they went with kind of a cool understated thing so i understand a lot of people did find it boring i get that but i didn't mind it uh myself uh for my bottom three uh, and i'll go inverse order just like you did uh, starting with calgary i just i don't like the horse and i don't like when calgary goes black because for me they have such awesome colors to begin with that it's like why would you stray from the red and gold uh and i actually had an idea uh, just because, you know, we can't just criticize. We have to offer solutions. They oh, should have okay. gone Atlanta <laughs> Flames. The A could mean Alberta. It could. Right? It the could. A could still mean Alberta. You get that logo. And maybe you go with like a gold base just to make it pop and to make it different. So it's not just an, an old Atlanta Flames jersey. I think that could have been the way they went. Um, but they brought back the horse,
1: which is from an era that I do not like. The flaming snot uh, from the horse. The flaming, it's the flaming snot that's coming from the horse. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: <clears throat> and they're not the Calgary horsies, they're the Calgary flames. Um, the next one, I'll say the Dallas Stars, uh, who also went with a retro logo, but it's kind of, it's retro to the nineties, which to me is sort of like, yeah, whatever. And it was really kind
1: of washed out. It was really, really Yeah, nice. it did. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I, uh, I like their neon one that they're going to wear uh, because it's so bold. Uh, Steven and I were joking It's their Chicago mission Jersey. If you know minor hockey, you know mm-hmm. what that means. Um, and then the worst one for me, uh, the Detroit Red Wings, cause they didn't do anything. Yeah. They, they, they stripped it down. They put one silver stripe on each arm and they were like, good enough. Um, you know, for a team that has so much history in the NHL, they could have gone with a couple I, I know they've used the winged wheel for quite a while, but I mean, there were Detroit Falcons jerseys, Detroit Cougars jerseys that you could have done a riff on. I just felt like, you know, and I'm not the only one who's made this joke. It almost felt like they forgot until the last day, and they're like, (laughs) "Oh no, guys, 31 teams. Ah, put a silver stripe on it." Um, Anyways, sticking on jerseys for one more topic. When the NHL put out its sizzle reel for this uh, these new jerseys there was one team that conspicuously showed the back of its jersey and not the front, and that was the Chicago Blackhawks. Um, Chicago obviously went with a a retro jersey, and it does have a native mascot head on the front, which, it I mean, it could not have been a coincidence that out of 31 teams – 30 of them got their logos shown in the official release and one yeah. did not. Yeah. So Ken, I put the question to you uh, because you did blog about this as well on THN.com. Yeah. Are they embarrassed at this point that Chicago still uses logos like that? And is this the beginning of the end?
1: Well, I get the sense. I get the sense that, that like, the league doesn't like it and and the Blackhawks are like, no, no, we're good with it. We're going to keep with it. You know, I mean, they could have gone any way they wanted to. and And I think what would have been amazing if they had gone to it was, like a couple of teams put their secondary logo as as the main logo, right? So they could have had that C with the two Tomahawks. I mean you've still got the Native American imagery there, which might be a bit of a problem, but it's not so overt. But you could have yeah. done that. Like they could have done that. They had a blank canvas here. And 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 I think the league could have made them say it could have said to them, look, you can't go with the Indian headdress. Because because I mean it's it's difficult because, you know, I mean, the Blackhawks have sworn up and down and they've gone to great lengths. Obviously, they've banned headdresses at, at, at the United Center. You know, they've reached out in a big way to a lot of the Native American groups. They have a, they have They even have like Native American rituals sometimes before their games. So they've obviously done a really good job of reaching out and trying to distance themselves from that cartoonish imagery. But to me, either you're going to embrace it or you're not like, okay, if you're going to say the, the Blackhawk is actually named after a World War I battalion and, and it's to honor the, you know, it's to honor the bravery and, and all this other stuff, then embrace it and go with it. Like don't try and sort of hide behind it and put one foot on one side of the fence and one foot on the other side of the fence. It was hilarious because they also had a video with each team for each team. Uh, with their with their sweater reveal and with the Blackhawks, you could there was literally you would have had to you would have had to freeze your your computer to see the logo front on for even one second, you know. Yeah. And and there was one point where they show sort of the the close up of the logo, but conveniently the guy the model is like adjusting the sleeve on the other side, so his oh. arm's right <laughs> completely in front of it. So like to me, I I mean. I don't know i mean there there are a lot of arguments on both sides of this issue and i get it but like if 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 you're going to use it then then use it and 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 say you're using it for the right reasons uh and if you're not then 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 don't
0: Mm. here's my conspiracy theory if the blackhawks had gone with a, a new type of logo Say, say even like a new hawk. I, and we've seen people make yeah, their own designs yeah. on social media. If they had gone with a hawk or if they had gone with, say, like a script lettering that just said Chicago, kind of like an old Chicago Bulls jersey, for example, if they had gone with something that did not have the mascot on the front, then they would have had to admit that they can do it. Like what if fans yeah. had embraced it? What if they had sold a ton of those jerseys? Then they would have to admit that they don't need that logo anymore or a variation of that logo that Blackhawk logo. Uh, so I wonder if they're stuck in a spot now. And I mean, the pressure is going to be coming. Um, going to be coming. Washington's football team changed their name and logo. Can you uh, like? Can you imagine the world we live in when Dan Snyder's team is more progressive than yours? And you're yeah, right. Yeah. You know, the Blackhawks have made a lot of strides, but like, I, I, frankly, I was flabbergasted. They're like, yeah, we're banning headdresses. It's like now. Yeah. Why didn't you ban it 20 years Are you ago? Just like, getting
1: around to that. <laughs> it's not
0: a new thing. Like, you know, like Coachella banned headdresses before you did. It's like they're all on drugs. Um, so, anyways, you no, know, I, I agree with you. Um, I I feel like it's a matter of time. And you know, you're right. You know, the organization has taken steps to be more progressive on this issue and to be more inclusive. I still think there's a lack of agency because this is a team owned by white people that claim they're honoring uh, another group. Right. And, you know, outreach is great. I think they could probably do more, but I, I, this feels like a tipping point and I'm not saying it's going to change next year or the year after that, but it feels like we're, we're getting to the point of no return where they're going to run out of excuses on this. So let's move on to some hot stove action and the hot stove is very cool right now. It's off. It's not even, uh, it's not even on pre-warm. Um, Mike Hoffman still unsigned. Um, you know, this is a guy that can score a lot of goals for you, but he is still on the market. Um, and this is sort of a question Matt put together uh, before he went into labor. What up with that, Ken? Why, why doesn't Mike Hoffman have a team yet, in your opinion?
1: Well, I, I think this is, this is the, 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 the perfect storm, sort of the perfect example of a guy who's getting screwed by a flat salary cap. Like, I think that's all it is. I really do. I mean, he's asking for f- between 5.5 and 6.5 million on a long term deal, and he deserves it. I mean, he's a 30 goal guy. He was on a 34 goal pace, um, you know, before the pandemic. Uh, only two players in the NHL in the past three years have scored more power play goals than Mike Hoffman. I mean, in normal times, this is not a big ask. This is not a, this is not something where teams have to really, you know, like ruminate on it, right? Um, you know, I, I think I think he's he's the classic example of the guy who's getting squeezed out. Because there's a there's a flat cap and and the uncertainty of where things are going, you know, we're hearing reports now that the that the league is asking the players to take another thirteen uh, percent pay deferral uh, this year. And I mean, at some point, like it's fifty percent of the revenues. They're they're gonna have to make that up somehow. And and in a flat cap, I just find I just think there are just too many teams that that just don't have the room for that. I, I personally, I've thought all along that, that he'd be a perfect fit in Columbus. Um, You know, they, their left side is okay. You know, you've got Texier and, and, uh, and Nick Foligno. And then, and then at the bottom, you've got Riley Nash, you know, I think he would be, I think he'd be perfect on the left side. Their power play was 27th in the league this year. You know, they could use the boost. I mean, yeah, five on five, he's not a great player and Columbus typically doesn't, really mesh well with guys who don't play five on five well and their coach doesn't. <laughs> um, but, but I, I really think that what he brings could give them the spark that they need, you know, you know, to he's not going to replace Panarin who left, you know, before last season, but, um, mm. he'd be a, he'd be a good guy to, to, to fill in that role, but, you know, and they've got $9 million about, and the only guy they have left to sign is, is, uh, is Pierre-Luc Dubois. Um, which is going to be, which is going to take up a huge chunk of that, if not all of it. So you've got to get, you've got to get, get, uh, you know, you got to show some ingenuity here. You know, Nyquist is on the, is on the long-term injury list. Um, so I, I see Columbus as a fit, but it's, it's kind of bizarre that, uh, you know, this guy hasn't been signed yet.
0: Yeah. And I, I think you're right. This is, you know, a very strange situation where, you know you have a lot of teams that are sort of up against the cap already because when they were making their long term plans 2 3 years ago they didn't think that they would only have 80 million in change to play with they assumed it would probably be 83 maybe even 85 at this point so i think you you have that and then you would probably also have some franchises that are saying let's not spend to the cap because this is literal money that we are not making at the gate right now let's try to keep ourselves in a in a nice little range there I wonder if, you know, I know Hoffman wants a long-term deal, but I wonder at, if at this point or in the coming weeks, maybe he signs with a team like Detroit and says, basically, wh- give me a one-year deal for $6 million, trade me at the deadline to a contender where the cap isn't as much of a factor because everything is pro-rated. You know, he can get his reps, He can obviously help out a Red Wings team that is going to need some help offensively. I mean, they've got some guys, you know, they've got Anthony Mantha, um, you know, Bobby Ryan is already there looking to sort of get his career back in track. But if you're the Red Wings, you say, hey, you know, we've got the cap space. Um, You know, we have deep pocketed owners. I have to imagine Little Caesars is doing okay during the pandemic. Uh, Probably a lot of deliveries going on there. Yeah. Um, and you know, you can get some assets for Hoffman at the deadline. You could probably get, I would think at least a a second rounder and some other stuff. I don't know if you can get a first on a guy that's a straight up rental, but you would get an asset and, and that's what they're doing right now in Detroit. Um, but it is, it is a tough situation and it does kind of feel like Mike Hoffman has become the case study in getting caught uh, in an untenable situation. So best of luck to him. Hopefully he uh, he catches on. I do like your Columbus idea. It does make sense because, you know, with Teshi and Felino you're not you're getting good players, but not a lot of offensive pop. Right. So that's yeah. an interesting one right there. I like that. Speaking of the beginning of the season, we're still holding out hope for a January 1st open. Ken, you did mention um, that there are some financial considerations that have to be, uh, figured out on the players end, you know, taking, you know, yet another hack in their salary percentage. Um, but how are you feeling right now? Do you think they'll be able to pull it off? Looks like the NBA is getting going and it's uh, similar situations in terms of schedules and arenas.
1: Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, I, like I say, I mean, after what Gary Bettman and the NHL did in the playoffs last year, I'm, n- I'm never going to say never with this, with these guys. Um, you know, I mean, I thought that they, the NHL did the best job of any of the major professional sports at, uh, maintaining, you know, at, 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 at getting this thing done with, with the fewest sort of hiccups possible. Um, so when it comes to, you know, being creative and and being able to, to pull this off, I'm, I'm not going to sell Gary Bettman and the NHL short, uh, but I do feel like January 1st it feels rushed i mean especially if you're going to give like then that means you got to start training camp december 15th probably if you want to give the teams that didn't get into the bubble extra time then you're looking at december 1st probably for those teams we're now at november what's today the 18th yep yeah. and <clears throat> we don't even know what things look like yet what how the, how this is going to look you know, we don't have divisions yet. We don't have an agreement with the players yet. I still think January first seems a bit ambitious. Um, but if you want to finish, if you want to do your playoffs in May and finish the season by July, um, you know you're, you're going to have to get on your horse. But uh, I'm 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 doubtful about January first. But like I say, I'm not. I'm you know I, I hate being on both sides of the fence here, but. I'm not going to count anything out when it comes to the NHL and their ability to pull something off.
0: Yeah. I'm an optimist on this. I think the the fact that the NBA has a plan really helps the NHL because the NHL tends to follow the NBA. Uh, you know, if we even think about the return to play bubble for 2020 um, you know, the NBA announced its plans and then the NHL jumped in with their plans soon thereafter. So obviously there's a lot of similarities um, with the two sports. I also wonder if, the NHL will look to the Quebec league, which has been playing a somewhat regular season, um, you know, starting in October. Um, They've had their hiccups for sure. There's actually a bubble, a temporary bubble in Quebec city right now. So that the the teams that are in the province's so-called red zone, where there are a lot of COVID cases, they're all playing each other in a little round robin so they can get their games up. Um, I wonder if the NHL is looking there and saying, okay, well, what are they doing? You know, what did they have to do to sort of pivot? Uh, how did it work out? You know, we've already talked about a Canadian division, which would obviously help out in terms of, you know, um, not worrying about the border. I wonder if we see a schedule where, you know, January 1st, everybody plays a couple of games. Maybe, you know, we, we've talked about there maybe being sort of mini hub cities or, or something of that. Uh, regard if we see something like that where it's like okay let's get in some games let's see how it goes Um, you know schedule makers are going to be earning every penny of their salary this year because there's probably going to have to be some flexibility built into whatever they do but you know we are seeing hockey in Canada with the Quebec League various Canadian junior A A leagues are already underway and, and doing all right Uh, The USHL has been playing games. There have been cancellations, uh, not necessarily because of anything the teams did, but just because of caseloads in those particular counties, but they are playing games. So it feels like there is a route there. And I have to wonder if, you know, obviously you're probably not going to have any fans in the stands to begin with, but you would be getting TV revenues, which is not nothing. And, And we are looking at vaccines that seem to be close at least, So I wonder if all those signs push the NHL and say, okay, at the least we can start this. And if we build in flexibility, then we can get some semblances of a season. If it's 60 games, that's great. If it's 48, well, we've done forty-eight seasons before, and it's been fine, you know? Um, So I'm an optimist on that. Final question before we get to some reader questions. Since we are in the off season and, and most rosters are essentially set right now. You know, we've talked about teams that have done some good things, but who's your bust team for the uh summer? Who do you think uh, needed to do more or or just didn't do the right things?
1: Well, I I you know, I got, I can't look, I can't keep looking past the Boston Bruins who didn't do anything basically. And will not have David Krejci and Brad Marchand to start the season, probably. Um, you know, I mean, I, I, uh, I you know, they, they've got their cap concerns. Obviously, they've lot. They've you know, there's been a big minus in losing Tory Krug from the defense. Um, you know, uh, and they did win the Presidents Trophy last year, so you know they're a good team. But you know, if you're not moving forwards, you're moving backwards. And uh, I just would have liked to have seen. And, and I always thought that. Mike Hoffman would be a good fit for the Boston Bruins, like a really good fit for the Boston Bruins. And they have yet to to sort of make that move. So for me, it's, for me, it's probably the Boston Bruins.
0: Hmm. I'm going to stick in black and gold and say the Pittsburgh Penguins, another team that, you know, you talk about diminishing returns, and they're obviously a few steps behind Boston at this point, because uh, Pittsburgh has bombed out of the playoffs two years in a row uh, in sort of fantastic circumstances. And you look at who they added over the season, not exactly a murderer's row. You got Michael Matheson, Cody CC, Mark Jankowski, Evan Rodriguez. The fact that none of the teams that they left uh, heard an outcry from their fan bases, I think sort of speaks volumes that you know these were not players that were highly coveted by their organizations and yes you managed to get rid of jack johnson uh that was great but then you replaced him with cody cc so you're kind of back to square one um i just feel like pittsburgh continues to go backwards and but then in a weird way they'll add during the season and at the deadline you know they'll they'll bring in a jason zucker to say like we're still going for it um and, you know, maybe Kasperi Kapanen will help. Um, early returns say, uh, you know, he might uh, be playing with Sidney Crosby, and that could be very interesting. Um, my only concern is that, you know, in, in Toronto we saw Kapanen a lot because, obviously, he played for the Maple Leafs. Uh, not the greatest finisher in the world. You know, great speed, but uh, I was saying this the other day. I, I'm worried that he's a young Michael Grabner at this point where he gets three breakaways a game and no goals. Um, right. So that would be my concern there. But yeah, I I worry that Pittsburgh is kind of on a path of uh, nullification uh, just simply because of those diminishing returns. Uh, Let's go to some reader questions now. And uh, sticking in the same division, Kyle Lisk asks, how many more years till the Devils are considered contenders?
1: I think it's still going to be a few. I think, I think we've still got a ways to go here. Uh, I like what they did, you know, with their, with their deadline moves, like they, you know, I mean, getting, you know, getting Nolan foot for Blake Coleman, getting, uh, getting Kevin ball in the Taylor hall trade, you know, uh, trading Vatten for cook Kuk- uh, for um, You know, those are all deals that are, you know, geared towards the future. Um, you know, I mean, their draft this year, they had three first round picks you know, Holtz, Mercer, uh, Holtz, Mercer, and uh, how do you say that guy's name? Mooka Madulin. Muka Madulin. Yeah. So, I mean, that's a great, that's, those are, you know, that's a, that's a great way to start a rebuild, you know, with three first round picks. I, I mean, the top two, I think will be very, very good players within a couple of years um, you know, so I think you just sort of keep going and keep building. And, you know, now you've got, you know, you've got to make a decision on Kyle Palmieri, you know, do you, do you move him at the deadline for assets and, and sort of keep going that way. But I still look at the roster and it's, you know, it's still pretty, it's still pretty bereft in a lot of places.
0: Yeah, I agree. But I, I, I think they are on a, a good track. Um, everything you mentioned Uh, makes sense. I I also liked that the fact that they brought in Corey Crawford, uh, a goaltender who is, you know, clearly he's got Stanley cup rings from Chicago and he also kind of has something to prove because the Hawks essentially said, yeah, yeah, we're, we're good. You can go. Um, I I think he'll be a great mentor for Mackenzie Blackwood. And I think he'll stabilize them a little bit just so, you know, we've talked about this a lot in the past where you don't want to have a losing culture when you're rebuilding and you've got a lot of young guys, you know, you're obviously building around Jack Hughes and Nico Heischer. And, you know, you got Ty Smith coming up on defense. They've got some nice pieces, Um, but you know, those guys can't carry the weight just yet. You know, they're going to need help. And I think, you know, Crawford coming in really helps that, you know, they got Andreas Johnson from Toronto for basically nothing. Um, And, you know, I mean, he's not like a game breaker, but he's a piece. And he'll help, you know, he can get you some offense. So I think that helps. For me, I would say, you know, you're looking at at least three years before we're even talking about this team being scary. You know, I I think that, you know, as Hughes and Heisher mature, they're going to be a great one-two punch down the middle. And, you know, they're probably going to have another high pick this year, which could net them, Owen Power. It could net them Luke Hughes for the yeah. Defense Corps. Uh, you know, Maddie Beneers, Kent Johnson. There's a lot of nice players in this draft, uh, especially at the high end. So you know, obviously they're not done yet, uh, but they're they're on the path. So I, I think they're 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 doing okay. They're still going to be bad this year, but uh, they're on their way. Uh, next question from Mike Meyer. What's the upside for Klim Constant? Only 20, 21 years old, but his AHL stats don't seem too promising for a first-round pick. Uh, seems like he might have a chance, but as a bottom six forward. Should the Blues look to use him as a trade chip? I'll uh, start off on this one, since I like the prospects. Um, you know, right now, Klim Constant is over in the KHL playing for Avangard Omsk. Uh, not having much success, two points in 14 games, but I look at that through the lens of Omsk knows he's not going to be there for the long haul. Um, so I'm not too worried. He's also on bigger ice over there. I feel like Clem Constant, even though he is from Russia, he plays a North American style game. You know, he's physical, he's big, uses his size well. He's actually better on smaller ice. And I actually didn't mind his AHL stats this past season Um, especially, you know, I know plus minus is like a verboten stat these days, but he was a plus player on a team full of double digit minuses. So I think that bodes well for him. I think he's probably a middle six guy, uh, right now upon projection and, you know, he was a first round pick, uh, but very late in the first round. I think he was actually the final pick of that first round. Um, so I'm okay with it. I I still believe in Costin, especially because with those bigger players, they tend to take a little longer to develop, um, because they have been blessed with size. They kind of have to adjust to the game when they're not the biggest guy on the ice by 20 pounds and two inches. I I don't know if you want to add anything to that, Ken, or if you want to. I just,
1: I just look at a guy. I just look at a guy who's been three years in the American league, like three full years, in the American league and, and uh, really hasn't, you know, made a real mark in that, at that level. You know, I, I, I'd feel a lot better about Clint Costin if, if, if he had kind of progressed a little bit each year, but it just seems to me like he's, he's sort of stuck there and he's not, he's not creating much offense. He's not really standing out. You know, he hasn't like, has, he hasn't earned too many call-ups. Uh, you know, obviously, um, what's he played yeah. four games, you know, he's been he's yeah, been in North America actually, for three yeah. years, and he's played four games with the big team. Um, you know, I, I think it's time to, to adjust the expectations on this guy. Um, I think I think you're right. I think I, I, I don't, I don't think he's a top six forward. I think he probably now fits into the bottom six. And, and I mean, that's, that's okay, like for a 31st yeah. overall pick. That's, that's okay. If you get a guy there, who can play and, you know, have a decent career um, and, and be a contributor you've done okay with that pick. And, and I think, you know, maybe, you know, the blues are at the point where maybe they think they can do okay with that pick, but I don't think he's a guy that like a trade chip. I'm not sure you'd get much for him right now. I, I think other teams would look at him and go, well, you know what, we're not, you know, we're not giving up a roster player for this guy that really hasn't proved Yet that he can he can even play in the NHL I mean like three years three years he's Hmm. been here and he's played four NHL games I think that speaks an awful lot to what the Blues think of him and 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 his his NHL potential
0: all right uh next question from Harold Dinktroth what's your favorite game you have ever covered in person Ken I'll let you go
1: first on that I think I might know the answer no, you probably don't. You might you might think you know the answer, cuz you cuz you're okay. gonna think it's the 1990 Memorial Cup game between Ottawa. Right. Yeah. Is that the one? Yeah. Yeah, that yeah. was a great game and it was not the final, the the round robin game mm-hmm. that went into like triple overtime. That was amazing, but I think I'm going to go with game 1 of the 2006 Stanley Cup final between the Edmonton Oilers and the Carolina Hurricanes. That mm-hmm. game was wild. First of all, the arena in Carolina was just nuts like I could not believe that 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 market that crowd in that market um could could be that that noisy and that that boisterous so it had great electricity Edmonton jumps out to a three nothing lead Chris Pronger becomes the first defenseman in NHL history to score on a penalty shot you know I mean this was 2006 this was the first year after the league had shut down for the lockout and had rebranded itself and come back as a much more dynamic product. And I thought that this game embodied all of that. Like, you know, a three nothing lead prior to 2006 in a, in a Stanley cup playoff game, you could book that, that game was over, but Carolina storms back. They tie it three, three, they trade goals, you know, 32 seconds. uh, Dwayne Rollison gets hurt. Unfortunately, and they bring Ty Conklin in, and he, oh god, he misplays the puck behind the net, and there's a gimme, and it's five four, and then with like, and then Edmonton storms back, and with three point eight seconds left, Sean Horkoff has this beautiful chance to tie the game, and Cam Ward robs him, and I, I just thought that to me that that game was just so indicative of how hockey had changed and how exciting it was and lead changes and everything like that. And and ultimately, I think that was the game that, that won Carolina that series and, and lost it for Edmonton. Um, you know, it ended up going seven games. So obviously, if Edmonton had won, it would have been a different story. But I just think it set a tone for that series. And, and to me, that was just a really, really memorable game. Nice.
0: Now, uh, for me, you know, originally... I was thinking about the World Cup of Hockey Team North America versus Sweden uh, because it was so much fun. People were talking about it on social media the other day. Excuse me. You and I were both there, and it was incredible. Um, I'm actually going to go with the 2017 World Junior Gold Medal game between Canada and the U.S. It was in Montreal. In that tournament, the atmosphere was not great. People did not show up. Tickets were too expensive. But the final wasn't just a crazy classic. Thomas Shabbat played so much for Canada, um, ended up being the MVP of the tournament. Charlie McAvoy played so much for Team USA. They went back and forth to a shootout. Troy Terry wins it on yeah. Carter Hart. I mean, you know, you talk about the press box at that World Cup of Hockey game. I mean, we were all just going nuts. Um, when McKinnon pulled that move on Lundqvist. It was just incredible. And, and none of us were cheering for anybody because it's yeah. like North America, team North America. It was the same thing at that World Juniors. We were all just staring at each other. Like, can you, um, can you believe what we're seeing? These two teams going back and forth. The drama was just incredible. And uh, yeah, I'll never forget that. The World Juniors actually in Toronto, um, the year that they beat Russia... That was incredible as well because Canada had not won in quite some time and that atmosphere was amazing. Like that's the loudest I've ever heard uh, the ACC. So that was good too. But um, yeah, that Canada USA game that the Americans won uh, I-, I would say that was
1: the most incredible one I've watched in person. we got one more reader Producer question. Steve, then we'll go no, to December rapid fire. Ryan, Producer, oh, yeah. Steven, Producer Steven said the 2006 Stanley cup final was his favorite playoff series ever. He, he put that into the chat. Which, which I find strange because he was probably like three when right. it happened.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, so last question from Sammy Atwood hey guys love the podcast who would win in an arm wrestling tournament between Matt Ryan and Ken Matt is not here to defend himself I am of course going to say that I would win because I am the biggest of the three of us and I am also a drummer and I have dad strength
1: Ken what do you got I'm going to agree with you, actually, Ryan. I think you would win. I think I think Matt would 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 finish third because he's just he's going to be too tired. Like he's just had this mm-hmm. lovely baby Daisy Daisy Eve or Daisy uh, Daisy Larkin uh, born today. Congratulations and shout out to Matt, but he's going to be sleep deprived and and completely sapped of all of his energy. So I think both mm-hmm. of us will be able to take him easily. But yeah, I mean yeah. you're much bigger than I am you have tattoos, you know, like I'm working out, like I'm, I'm working out. I'm, I'm doing the dad workout in my basement with my dumbbells and everything. But I feel like you'd be able to sort of leverage that extra reach and strength and power. And you'd probably be Mm -hmm. able to take me down.
0: Fair enough. And I will say to your credit, if we were running a marathon, you would win hands down. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. So let's end it off with a rapid fire. Ken, you are the host. Let's get it on.
1: All right. Perfect. Okay. Number one question. Uh, Childhood celebrity crush and current celebrity crush. I'll go first. Oh, that's a good one. I'll go go first to give you some time to think about it. Childhood celebrity crush, Farrah Fawcett. um, Had the poster, of course, in the 70s. Had the poster. Loved her. Uh, Current celebrity crush, probably Eva Mendes.
0: Hmm. There it is. Uh, childhood crush, I'll go Kathy Ireland. Uh, <laughs> and uh, current celebrity crush, I'm going to go with Aubrey Plaza. I don't, like don't even know who that
1: person is. Uh, she Literally. was on Parks
0: of Rec, and she's also
1: really good on the show Legion, if you've ever seen that. Nope. Nope. Yeah. Is that about a bunch of guys that go to a place to drink beer?
0: That would be amazing. <laughs> yeah.
1: Okay. Second, I'm, I'm going to use, do the, was he a Ranger with a twist? And Ooh, okay. I'm going to go with, was he a thrasher?
0: Oh, that's a good one.
1: Was he a thrasher? Mark Reckie.
0: Yes. I remember. I have that. I, I have it in my head that there was a trade that involved Mark Reckie going to Atlanta. So I'm going to yes. say yes.
1: Yeah, you got it. He was a a thrasher for one year. Steve Thomas. Ooh, I'm
0: going to say no. I can't picture that. I feel he would have just retired.
1: And you'd be right. And the last one, Peter Bondra.
0: Ooh, I'm going to – oh, that's a tough one. I'm going to say – for
1: some reason, I'm going to say yes. I don't know why, but I'm going to say yes. Three for three. Beautiful. Good job. Good job. You nailed it, Ryan Kennedy. All right. Best Adam Adam Sandler movie for me. Uh, Hands down, The Wedding Singer, um, without question. Um, My favorite line in that whole movie is when the boyfriend beats up Adam Sandler. And he says, hey, I got an idea for your next song. Why don't you call it? Maybe I shouldn't stick my nose into other people's business. (laughs) Anyways. Best Adam Sandler movie.
0: I'm going to go Happy Gilmore. I feel that's like kind of the most pure Adam Sandler movie. And it also has some fantastic lines. And Shooter McGavin is a fantastic villain.
1: He's, yeah. That was just on Sportsnet last night, actually. Happy nice. Gilmore. So, yeah. Um, okay. So, let's see. Where are we now? Okay. You are the Minnesota North Stars at the 1983 draft. Mm. Who do you pick first overall? Steve Iserman, Dominic Hasek, or Cam Neely?
0: Ooh, I'm going to go Steve Iserman because you wouldn't have known at the time that Dominic Hasek was going to become Dominic Hasek. So many right. things had to happen. Um, and Iserman's a center, Neely's a winger. I always go center over winger.
1: Right. I, I'd probably go... Uh, I'd probably go Iserman as well. I mean, uh, you know, I mean, they, they, <laughs> they needed a superstar in a big way. Um, and uh, they could have had him in Iserman. And, you know, Iserman was the kind of guy that was pretty loyal to the teams he played for. So I got to feel, I have a feeling he would have had a pretty good long career in Minnesota if uh, mm-hmm. he hadn't been picked instead of Brian Lawton. Um, all right. And the last one is... Both of us have agreed that the top two cheap trick songs are um, I Want You to Want Me and Surrender. So that's that's we've established that. What is number three on your list? And I'm going to go off the grid a little bit here with Clock Strikes 10, 1977. Do you remember that one?
0: I don't know that one.
1: That's a, that, it's a, it's a great one. It rocks. Okay. It really rocks, and uh, it's on there. I think I'm pretty sure it's on the live and Budokan album as well. Clock strikes ten. I'm gonna go with that one.
0: Nice. I'm gonna say Dream Police, but I'm also going to uh, couch that by saying I would also say Southern Girls uh, because oh. they have nothing to lose. Right. So I'll say Dream Police, but I'm kind of torn. Uh, okay. So that was a great rapid fire, Ken. Very well done. That's it for the podcast. Shout out to Maddie. Hope you're getting some rest and enjoying the new baby skin on skin contact. Very important. Uh, Thank you, Ken. Thank you, producer Steven. We're out of here.